0: Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California, this is the Success Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael, and today you're tuning in to Spell It Out, Magic Reflections and Shadows, where I take a topic and I run with it. Today I'm going to do a mini rant, a tarot-related rant, and I'm going to talk about two very influential essays in the history of the occult tarot. Uh, But before we get started, Michael has a few announcements.
1: Hi everybody, welcome back to our show. Um, We're very excited to have you guys here. Um, Just to give you a rundown on what we've got coming up this month, we've got some fantastic guests. Uh, Next week we have Anique Radiant Heart, and she's a high priestess from the Goddess Temple Maitland, and she will be talking about her tradition which involves a lot of chanting and so forth, so I'm super excited about that. Uh, The following week we have Brother uh, Valdir Farah And he is a French Freemason. So we'll be getting into some of the uh, differences between French Freemasonry and Royal Arch Freemasonry and some of his particular twist on Freemasonry. So that should be a lot of fun. Um, And then a show we've been looking forward to since we booked it. We have Gina Armstrong and Victoria Van from Haunted History, British Columbia. We'll be doing a show all on cryptoids. So if you're into Bigfoot and all things kind of Loch Ness Monster and Mysterious, join us for that one. And then we're finishing the month with our good friend, Reverend Jim McGrath. And so we've got lots of great content coming up. Get all the information on our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-I-X-T-H, all spelled out. Um, While you're there, if you can afford to, buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi. It makes us feel good. It helps cover some of our production costs. And so it's a nice thing to do for us. And if you can't afford it, we're just happy to have you anyway. We love doing the show for all of you. Um, Or you can sign up for our newsletter. And then if you're into tarot or wanting to get into tarot, um, I'll be teaching a series of tarot classes starting in uh, August on the 18th. On a Thursday night, it'll be a seven-week series. And just email me, and I can give you more information on that. So don't want to take up any more of Krista's time, because she definitely wants to rant about this, and I'm looking forward to it. So take it away, Krista.
0: Great. Thanks, Michael. And you can also go to our website, mysticgraven.net, to find out more about the tarot class. So um, why do I want to rant about this, you may ask? Well, because until very, very recently, the two essays, and the two essays are um, basically the written by two two French Freemasons, actually, uh, Antoine Court de Géblan, and then the second fellow, Louise Raphael Lucriche de Fayol, known more as the Comte de Millet. Uh, they have two tarot essays that were basically published at the end of the 1700s that changed the course of tarot being viewed as... Mostly a game, a very popular game, which it still is actually, and they're they're definitely given some credit. But what was what I want to rant about was until really recently, these essays were only available in French, and I I remember looking, I think before in the 1900s, I uh, 1990s, uh, I looked for it, a copy of it, and certainly if you can read French, you can find it. But it was, it was really bizarre to me that a lot of the tarot historians and scholars, they were not publishing a good translation of it. So the first one I ever found in print is called Rhapsodies of the Bizarre, the tarot essays of Antoine Court de Gébelin and Le Comte de Malay. And it's it's translated by Jay Carlin and it was published 2001. That is no longer in print, but you might be able to find a used copy. And what I really like about it was one, the reason he, he decided to translate it was he couldn't find one in English, and uh, he even contacted somebody in the terror world, and the person didn't even know that there were copies in French in libraries that were really easy to get to, uh, and we'll talk about sort of where these essays appeared to in the show. So he was really troubled by that, and he, he went out of his way to then translate it. And what I like about this particular version, he has a lot of footnotes t- to give you references to some of the things they're talking about in these essays. And it's they're not very long, these essays. But when it came out, it came out... Um, let's talk about Antoine Courte de Géblen first, because it really was because of him that these essays actually happened. He was born in Nîmes, France, or around 1725. There's some... Um, people are not sure exactly when he was born because they think uh, his father lied about his birth. But anyway, his father was a Protestant pastor and at first um, de Geblande followed in his footsteps. but then he, um, he didn't have that de Geblonde in his name actually, to begin with, but he added that. And then he became dedicated to the social and intellectual life of a French philo- philosophe, uh, I guess philosopher. This is what was is in rhapsodies of the Bazaar with the bio. And then focusing much of his scholarly intent, interest on the exploration of the origin and meaning of languages and symbolism. Uh, so he his most well-known work was this huge these huge uh, nine volumes, Le Monde Primitive. And this is where the essays were published. And they were published in volume eight of the nine volumes. Uh, The Monde Primitive is, quote, a massive work explaining and documenting his theory concerning the existence of an ancient primitive utopia where all the inhabitants of the earth spoke the same language. And he was evidently a really good linguist. Now, the, one of the, the things about these essays is um, it set the, the tarot world on fire, and I'm going to read you the first paragraph, you'll see why. But the scholarship was not necessarily great, though you have to put things in context as, as far as what scholarship was like, and whether you agree with it or not, it had uh, an amazing impact on tarot. Uh, now, the other thing I found interesting, as I said at the beginning of the show, was I found out that Dig Gablon was a French poet, Freemason, but this is what I thought was kind of cool. He was initiated in 1771 in the lodge Les Amis Reunis and moved on to lodge. Uh, the Nine Sisters, which we we talked about, I think, earlier, was Philippe, the French Lodge. And there, he actually met Benjamin Franklin. So that was kind of cool, I thought. And evidently, de Guilherme was all in favor of American independence. So so there, a little bit of politics. So that was him. Um, so he's the main reason that these essays uh, happened, actually. And then this other fellow who also wrote an essay, both essays are included, in this uh, volume uh, eight of the make sure I got that volume yeah eight of the uh, Le Mans Primitive. Now his he, his name Comte de Millet. He was also born in France January twenty third seventeen twenty seven, and he was a cavalry commander. So I'm always interested when military people are interested in esoteric things and the occult because certainly they are. He rose to a lieutenant governor of the French army, then provincial governor, and he died in Constance. Uh, December 23rd 1804 oh I did forget to mention de Geblon he died kind of in a strange way in a mesmeric tub it was some sort of a treatment using mesmerism uh on May 12th 1784 so he had kind of a bizarre death poor guy (laughs) so anyway um so those are the two men that wrote these essays and uh they're not super long essays but but when you have a chance to take a look at them you'll see how, um first of all, how it impacted the tarot, but some of it's really a little unique to the essays in that it didn't carry on some of their reasoning interpretation with some of the tarot on the cards. But I did want to o- read the opening paragraph from my uh, edition, and because uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty sensational in a sense. Now, before this time, uh, the tarot was not associated with Toth or the Egyptian world at all. And so this is the first uh, paragraph in um, it's in the Court de Gevlon's essay. If one intended to announce that there exists still in our days a work of the ancient Egyptians, one of their books escaped from the flames that devoured their glorious libraries, and which contains their purest doctrine upon some interesting subjects, everyone would be without doubt, eager to know a book so precious, So extraordinary. If one added that the book is well diffused throughout a large part of Europe, that for many centuries it has been in the hands of all the world, the surprise would certainly be increasing. Would it not be overflowing if one asserted that it was never suspected that it was Egyptian, that one possessed it as if not possessing it, that nobody has ever sought to decipher one page, that the fruit of a delicious wisdom is regarded as a bushel of extravagant figures that signified nothing by themselves would we not assume that he our informant wants to amuse himself playing with the credulity of his listeners so there you have it he announces that he recognized immediately when he saw uh, a deck of the tarot the the real real like esoteric meaning of it and how it came from egypt which of course has been proven false sort of <laughs> because some of the imagery does have an Egyptian uh, lore to it. But certainly we most people in the terror world know that it started in Italy as hand painted um, gift for the the royalty. So that's what sort of set things on fire. And then there's a little bit more and also um, the the second fellow agrees with de Geblin about his assessment of it, though their essays are slightly different in what they decide to talk about. Uh, So that's my main rant is why was it, why has it been ignored so much until very recently? In fact, I just recently found um, English translations. uh, I'm going to probably link them in at the end of the show. And one is by, uh, let's see, one is by Donald Tyson, but it's contained. It's called Essential Tarot Writings, a Collection of Source Texts in Western Occultism. That came out in 2020, uh, but but I think he had translated the essays earlier because I think it was on Mary Greer's page for a while. So it's within another collection of essays. I haven't read that re- yet. I don't know what it is. So that's good, though, because I, I think I like Donald Tyson. And then... Ouroboros Press, which really started the turn of the the, the century, I think, uh, is a wonderful press that publishes in beautiful ways esoteric works, and they have a really nice version of it um, on their website if you want to go and look there. There's only 1,500 copies because that's sort of their spiel, and they do a beautiful job, and this one is translated by Danzel Senatiempo with an introduction by Naha Amardi. So that looks really cool. But again, this is, uh, you know, kind of late in the game in the sense that you would think that immediately everybody would be very, I don't know, thankful, (laughs) even if they got things wrong. (laughs) So I wanted, I definitely wanted to do a shout out to these two men. Now let's go through a little bit about what you can expect in the book itself. And so basically I have... The Court de Geblon's essay, he divides it into eight sort of sections, and the first section is called Allegories that Reveal the Cards of the Tarot Deck, and he goes into the allegories connected to the trump cards. I think that's the way uh, he's talking about. Then he has a little bit about the suits. Uh, Then the third uh, section is the way in which one plays tarot. The fourth uh, this is a really interesting one. I mentioned it on a show before. Uh, the game of tarot is regarded as a game of political geography. That's where it's not a complete geographical um, layout of all the cards, but he breaks down the cards into different geographical areas and also different figures based on the different court cards. And it's one of those things I would like to someday sort of lay out on a map and sort of see what he has to say about it. The fifth section is um, connection of this game with a Chinese monument. You'll have to read that one. And then the sixth one connection of this game with another uh, quadricels quadrillasaur tournaments. I know I'm saying this wrong. Quadrillasaur, something like that. Uh, The seventh is Spanish card packs and the eighth is French cards. Uh, So that's how he breaks it down. So uh, he, more than the the second fellow, Demelay, talks about the Trump cards. Uh, I don't think they're all, maybe they all, yeah, I think they're all in there, but I'm not quite, I can't quite remember. But I do, what I do remember is really liking or being sort of like amused by some of his thoughts about the the major arcana, and uh, one was in the book he talks about the hangman as one of the virtues, and he says that it's painted the wrong way, <laughs> that it shouldn't be upside down, and he seems quite upset by that. So, and then the other favorite one was how he views, um, you know, one of the most I would say superstitious cards in the trump is um the trump series is of course the tower and the tower let's see if i can find it quickly he associates it with first of all um plutus is what the tower is associated with and he i liked what he had to say about it but i should have probably five six uh, nine i can't quite find it right now but from what i remember he oh he here's he talks about it it's a lesson contra avarice and he talks about greed with the tower and it is a tower stuffed with gold it is the castle of plutus it falls in ruins and his worshipers fall crushed under the debris And then he goes into this whole story about the tower and the mythology. So it's fascinating. One of the things that I have found going through the lineage of the tarot, i.e. the different people that had different impacts on the tarot throughout its history, is you'll find interesting thoughts and definitions about cards that many people now, they just memorize and say, this is what it means. But Throughout the history of the tarot, even within that, there are different opinions about what the cards mean. They're not, it's not a unified thing. And sometimes it's interesting because uh, I remember reading like in in one Marseille interpretation, the fives are actually very positive and they're associated with love and if you look at most modern books you see the fives as being very depressing and difficult so there's different views about the different cards and so it's just a fun exercise if nothing else to get you to think about the cards in maybe new ways or think about the fact that there is no concise dictionary that is the correct tarot and and though people say that I don't know that they really mean what they say, because then they'll go ahead and publish a book that says, oh, you know, the all Nine of Swords is always a death card and a ruin card. And I'm like, yeah, that's not true. <laughs> so, you know, so I think it's the way people present the tarot as so absolute rather than, hey, this is the, the theories that I follow and work for me. You know, you might have some different ideas. And this is why I use these theories, because I don't think people think about why they have chosen the interpretations they've decided to choose. And I've mentioned this before on other shows. I think it's good to at least learn a little bit about the history of the deck you are using, even if you don't agree with it. Now, um, let me go on to the second part. And I did want to say... Oh, maybe I'll say this at the end. Um, So, he he has something really pretty interesting in his it's a little shorter his essay and the first thing he does he divides it into the trumps into three sets of seven each representing an age and he tries to kind of I guess maybe forces a little bit of this idea of the seven because that according to both men the seven was an important Egyptian number and trying to look for repetitions of seven but he takes the trumps and he goes backwards from like the world through the devil. And that's the golden age. And then the silver age, the angel of temperance through justice. And then the iron age, uh, he calls the war chariot through le, the battalier, which is the magician. And he talks about this, these different ages and, and and things are getting sort of worse and worse as, as time progresses through the age. And so it's deterioration of things. Um, So, And then I I also thought I liked his opening uh, statement too because it also had a big effect on the tarot world. He declared the tarot to be a book of Toth, the first historian. So here we have, this is where, as far as I can tell, this originated the idea of here's the tarot. It has secret knowledge. It's got Egyptian knowledge. it's, It's written by Toth. These are the two men that started this. And it stuck. It went on. And, of course, again, there's things that they wrote about, like I said earlier, that scholastically it really doesn't fit. Um, but they they were the ones to actually begin this whole, like, craze, <laughs> you could say, you started the, the occult craze around the tarot. And then um, there's also correspondences to... Uh, the the Hebrew letters, the 22 letters, which for some reason it's in the appendix, I think it's de Malay, I'm pretty sure it is, that gets a little overlooked because Eliphas Levi, uh, he did a lot more with it. But something I learned reading the footnotes, this is why I like this, I didn't read all of the footnotes in this Rhapsody of the Bazaar. One is because they're really tiny, they're, so it's a little hard to actually literally read them. So you might need reading glasses if you're like me, but in the in the footnote he talks about the fact that the core the the order of the 22 Trumps is literally the opposite of what Crowley uses, and one of the things that I remember reading when I first came across Kabbalah and the different occult orders was whether or not who had the real order and whether or not they published it so that the public could see the order of of the cards connected to the Hebrew letters. So now this has set me wondering again because uh, Jay, I want to say his name right, right. Jay uh, Carlin who who translated it, he said he believes that this may be the right order and he gives sort of an argument, that is connected to Alistair Crowley in the footnote itself. So now I'm very confused and I'm going to go back and maybe ask Lon Milo Duquette, (laughs) see if he can come on and talk about the order and whether or not it is, um, does it matter? Does one have uh, the order right and the other one doesn't? Does it, like I said, and who does if, if there is such a thing as a correct order. So anyway, that's a little bit about the essays There was something at the end of, let's see, each of the 22, I love this, the hangman. Um, Oh, I like the ending quote in Court de Geblon's essay, and I just wanted to share it. He says that this dissertation is moreover replete with things and so proper to give some sound ideas on the way in which the sages of Egypt consulted the Book of Destiny that we don't doubt that it will be well received by the public deprived by the way until now of similar research because till now nobody had had the courage to occupy himself with subjects which appeared lost forever in the deep night of time that's such a beautiful line i love that lost forever in the deep night of time in fact i stole it for a title of an essay (laughs) so which was about them So uh, I've known about this book, like I said, for quite a while. The first time I read it, because it's a little strange, I didn't really retain some of the information. There are some infamous definitions that directly come from this book. And I I write about it in my essay on the Nine of Swords, which was recently published in Volume 3 of The Feminine Macabre, is that idea of the Nine of Swords representing death and ruin and destruction it, it it does come from here uh and then also uh the suits um so both of the men agree that they connect the four the suits with the four estates into which the egyptians were divided so the sword designated sovereign and the entire military nobility the cup the clergy or the priesthood the baton or club Hercules and the agriculture and the coin commerce of which money is the sign. So you can see, except for the suit of cups, how fascinating that it's associated with love. But in this case, it would be divine love because it's associated with the clergy or the priesthood. Uh, so that that's where the suit idea kind of comes from. Um, and then what, from what I can tell uh, by the footnotes, Something I've been sort of looking for is the smoking gun. I haven't quite found it, but the idea that a lot of the interpretations for divination for the tarot really come out of playing card interpretations. And that if we are to evolve and maybe make tarot a more unified system, we should not um, we should realize that and see if it still works and that's why you see such a difference between the nine of cups and the nine of swords because it comes out of interpretations for playing cards and this is in the footnote so it's not quite the smoking gun I'm looking for but it's close closer than I've gotten before because I've often felt that and I've often felt that uh weight and even Crowley to some degree they weren't as interested in divination anyway on a sort of ordinary level like we are they they had sometimes even it i think though Crowley doesn't really do that actually i think he just probably found people annoying asking the same questions <laughs> so uh, there's a funny thing about that in one of in his book on magic i remember so you know this is where you can see some of the origins of the interpretation of the cards except for like the trump cards because some of the trump cards do look a little bit different And they change uh, throughout time a little bit. So I think as part of my argument, ongoing argument, is I think we live in a time where it's we should be testing the validity of tarot theories rather than just perpetuating the same old ones and making new decks. I think that is really the time esoterically we live in. We have so much we haven't dug into and tested and to test it means you have to use your theory for a long long time like we have done so to me there's a a kind of laissez-faire around that in the general tarot community and they're still basically using and running with some of the same definitions at least this is we're talking about what's being published I'm not talking about people behind the scenes there probably are People just haven't written or they're too busy testing their theories. But it's important to see where things come from and then to see if, you know, this was written in the 1700s. Do I want to use the same interpretations as these men had at the time? Um, and I think, again, that that their intention mostly was to point out that this is a, a really profound system Hiding in plain sight as we play a game. Uh, The other funny thing in this particular translation is uh, the translator takes on Michael Dumet a little who was a card playing historian that was at times affronted by the idea that the occult world took the tarot so he takes them on and there's now and then you'll see this little bit of a tension between playing card historians and occult people. I always have felt that the tarot is both, that it is fine that it started as a playing card system. What really helped to bring tarot into the world was a, the printing press, and then eventually the ability to print even more easily, and distribute even more easily the decks. So really this is where the most, I would say, influential thing about the tarot in terms of changing and moving into the hands of regular people has to do with the production of decks. You know, it started out as hand painted for royalty and now, you know, I can make a deck and print it myself. So that's really what, and then also the ability to distribute it so widely is what's really changed the history of how tarot is seen and used and uh abused (laughs) so as as many you know i'm not in favor of all the tarot decks that come out being actually called tarot decks so anyway i hope this inspires you to go and find your own copy of this you might be able to find something free on one of those occult libraries i haven't yet but i didn't search really hard uh but sometimes you'll see copies of Things And you can, I, you can get the French essays much more easily. So I'm talking about you know translation into the English, which I think for me is just a little easier, though I, I probably could read a little of French. I, I wanted to see the, the English translation. So that's my rant uh, for today. Um, I hope that you will continue to question where definitions come from in the tarot to test things out for yourself and see if they work. And, um, you know, tell me if you read these essays and send me an email because they are a little peculiar, some of the things. I really like old esoteric books for that reason. They'll say things you don't expect. Uh, So let me know what you think about them. And until next time, I will see you next week. Continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together. All right, have a great week.